The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. All right, let's, um, let's start with a definition. That's kind of boring, but um, that's all I've got today. I'm not feeling uh, super creative today. So we're just going to start with a definition, if that's all right. The word is uh, generous, and this is Merriam-Webster's um, definition, uh, freely giving or sharing money or other valuable things, providing more than the amount that is needed or normal. I, I'm going to read it again. Free, generous, freely giving or sharing money and other valuable things, providing more than the amount that is needed or normal. Got it? If you got it, just say got it. I'll say, set that aside for just a second and, and just think in terms of the entire series that God is trying to build some things into our lives. Uh, we are, the key verse for this series is Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Got it? And, and so the, the workmanship part is the part that God is doing in us to make us into the 5G Christians that we desire to be. And the good works are the things that we're going to do as a result of all of that. And in this case, we are made, what are we made for? We're made to be generous. We're made to be generous as the followers of Jesus Christ, as a 5G Christian. And I want to say that there's so much for us on the other side of being generous, so much that God wants to pour out in our lives, so much that he wants to do for us and in us. But would you agree with me as we talk about generosity and even as I put that word in front of you in the definition that it's so hard for us, such a battle to loosen our grip on the things that we have. That it's so hard to loosen our grip on our money and on our possessions. And even if we don't have those things, on the desire to have them. It's so hard, it's such a battle. But if we do, God stands ready to bless us in an extraordinary way. And so in today's passage, as we think about what it takes to, to be a generous 5G Christian, we're made for this. In today's passage, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, two chapters, Paul's going to lay on us seven biblical principles of generosity. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to see today, these two chapters. Not going to be able to read the entire two chapters. We're going to drop in to several key verses along the way. I would really commend to you that you would go back this afternoon to your homes, read the entire two chapters and see everything that Paul says there about this. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin working through uh, these chapters. Uh, Father, um, I feel, again, like a, a message like this is really a, a cage match uh, with the small g God of this age. We do so love our money and our things. And so God, help us, as we've said, to loosen our grip uh, to hear your word 
to take a step toward being the generous Christians that we ought to be. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? All right. I'm a generous Christian when I give. Ready for the first one? Hello? Do you know me? Ready for the first one? (laughs) Uh, Proportionately, I'm giving based on my income. All right, let's read some verses here from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Pause there for a second. This is the uh, Apostle Paul church planter extraordinaire of the first century who went out and planted all these churches around the Mediterranean world and he's writing to the church in Corinth and he's going to talk about the church in Macedonia and what they're doing as he appeals to the Corinthians to take up an offering. Okay, so he says to them, verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, there's a lot in those verses that interests us. We're going to come back to some of those phrases. I really want to key in on one phrase in what I just read there. They gave, you see it there, they gave according to their means. Remember, we're talking about giving proportionately, that we're giving according to our income, according to what we have. Now, the context of this is is this. Paul did go around and he planted all these different churches, and so he had relationship with all of these churches. And there was a crisis happening at the first church of Jerusalem, where the first believers came to faith in Christ, where Jesus had done his ministry, where he had been crucified, uh, resurrected, and ascended. Now, the believers there now were in crisis because there was such a persecution on them that they were having trouble just even feeding their families. They were pressed out of the marketplace. They weren't able to buy food. Their job were evaporating. There was such a persecution on them. And so they were in crisis and Paul found out about this and he sent out a letter to all these churches that he had relationship with and he said to them all, look, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are in trouble. Let's take up an offering, all of us, collect all of that offering and we'll send it to them uh, to help them out in this time of crisis. And so this offering is being taken by Paul. These Corinthians, it seems... And you can track this through uh, the two letters that he wrote, uh, that they're kind of struggling with the taking of the offering. And yet these Macedonians are not. And in Macedonia, they were in a very tough spot themselves. He says here that they were in their own severe test of affliction, that they themselves were in extreme poverty, and yet they were pleading with Paul for the the privilege, they saw it as a privilege, of giving toward the offering themselves. Paul could easily have been writing to the other churches to say, hey, how about we take up a collection for the Macedonians? And yet here they are wanting to participate themselves to bless the church in Jerusalem. And so he's saying to the Corinthians, you guys need to do the same. You need to step up. I don't know why you're struggling with this idea of an offering. And so he writes, look down now to verse 11, verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, taking the offering, that's the it, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you had. You said you wanted to do it, now do it. 
For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever has gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever has gathered little had no lack. Now, you, you see it throughout what he's saying to the Corinthians that, that they need to give based on what they had. And in this case, the Corinthians had quite a bit, that they were in a place of abundance. They were the ones who could more easily than the Macedonians for sure make a contribution to Jerusalem. And so he says to them, do it out of what you have, according to what a person has, out of your abundance at the present time. It's all proportionate to what God has already given to you. Now you might ask at this point, okay then, it's proportionate giving. This is the principle that we're talking about. I've heard it taught many times in the church and is it true, Todd, that the proportion that we're supposed to give is 10%. We use the word tithe. And is it a tithe that we're supposed to be giving? Now, if you've been around here any length of time and you've heard any of my teaching uh, in any of the money series that I've done over the year, you'll know that I'm kind of um, tagged with this anti-tithing reputation. This could be on a t-shirt for me to wear right now. Many of you will know that about me, that I've not taught this and my concern for tithing and the way that we teach it in the church is, is that it's not super consistent with how we interpret the Bible, especially as we interpret the Old Testament. And I see the, the teaching of tithing as being a bit of a cherry picking out this one principle from the Old Testament and dropping it into the New Testament and then, and then applying it. And here's the reason why I say that. In the Old Testament, there's really kind of two sets of teaching that are going on. And some of that's going to come over into the Old Testament and some into the New Testament era, which we're in, and some of it is not. The moral law, which has to do with what we know about God and what we know about ourselves and human nature, the moral law is fully in effect, still in effect. Jesus made that super clear. But listen, the ceremonial law, the particular way that God had laid out for the Jews to worship him, the feasts and the festivals, the sacrifices and the offerings, the ceremonial aspects of the law are no longer in effect. So that when Jesus was pressed about his view of the Old Testament, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish the moral aspects of the law, but I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the ceremonial aspects of the law. The way that the Jews had worshipped all pointed to Jesus so that when he came, we no longer had to observe the ceremonial aspects of the law, which includes, by the way, tithing. So the question that I really have about this is why in the church do we just grab tithing and bring it forward? And why don't we bring some other aspects of the ceremonial law across? For example, why is it not required that we circumcise our male babies? Why, why do we not observe the Sabbath? Why is it at Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, we don't bring two goats to church, slaughter one right here in front of everybody? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why we don't do that. <laughs> Timothy wouldn't like it. That's for certain. But why don't we put our hands on the other goat and then take it out and release it out in the wilderness? You see what I'm saying? 
we've cherry picked out this one thing called tithing and, and left all the other aspects of the ceremonial law in place. See, tithing is commonly taught in the church not because it's consistent with our interpretive method, but because we need money for ministry and tithing 10% is an easy concept to teach and to learn. Give 10%, give 10%. If everybody just gave 10%, then we would have all that we would ever need for the ministry. But I just struggle because it's not consistent with how we interpret the Bible. You see, when Jesus came in the flesh, his appearing as the Son of God, taking on human flesh and coming among us, his appearing changed everything. That it was a a radical shift in the way we think about our relationship with God. So that, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses this phrase several times, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, you have heard it said, these are the things that you were taught before, These are the principles that you learn, but I say to you, and then the next thing he says, elevates whatever they were doing before, it's now raised to this radical level of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ. And the same is true with giving. And so if I could borrow the pattern that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he said these things, you have heard it said, Give 10% of your earnings in an offering to the Lord. But I say to you, listen now, it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. None of it is yours. And so you and I, in essence, are not getting away if I can put it this way, we're not getting away with a simple 10%, just do the calculation and figure it out in easy peasy, lemon squeezy, here we are. But we're being called to do the hard work. Listen, loved ones, we're being called to do the hard work of evaluating our income and evaluating our assets and figuring out our equity and the possessions that we have and determining what we can give back to the Lord of all that he has entrusted to us. What portion ought I to be giving back? And it may in fact, ready for this? It may, in fact, fill in the blank. It may, in fact, be more than 10%. You don't even want to say it. It may, in fact, be more than 10%. And, and given the way most of us live, it's probably, most likely, going to be more than 10%. You see, God assesses our giving not by the amount we gave, but, it, but he measures it in proportion to what we've kept back for ourselves to use in the way that we seem fit. Now, doing this requires a complete shift in our perspective. Our understanding of ownership needs to change. And if you see yourself as a manager of what you've been given by God, then you will see what you have as his, and you will disperse it accordingly And you will disperse it differently than if you think you own all that you have and you're giving part of that to the Lord. 
I love what Martin Luther said. It's going to help us lock down what we're talking about here. I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. All right, how many people have noticed that there's seven points in this message and I just spent a long time on the first one? How many people noticed that? How many people have lost complete faith in me being able to complete this message in the allotted time? No, you're good? All right, just get on with it. Number two, here we go. I'm a generous Christian when I give sacrificially. I'm giving at a cost. Now back to verse three, I read this already. For they gave, speaking of the Macedonians, they gave according to their means, proportionate to their income, as I I can testify, and beyond their means, beyond their means of their own accord. Now sacrifice of necessity requires faith. These are faith gifts that we give. Faith is the, we, we learn from uh, Hebrews 11, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so when it comes to giving by faith, I give because there's some sense of, I'm not sure how the Lord is gonna backfill the amount that I just gave. That it's, that's a stretch for me and I, I don't know how it's gonna come together or how he's gonna provide for me. But in faith, I believe he's led me to give this amount back to him. Okay, that's giving by faith. Sacrifice of necessity involves faith. Will I trust him to provide for me because my giving is actually costing me something? Louis Giglio gives us this a definition of sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving above what we normally give so we can go beyond where we normally go. I like that so much. And I, I, I like that because that describes the kind of church that we are and the kind of approach to giving and to ministry that we have. Like I could just say this about our church, never ever happy with the status quo. Not, you know, we're content with what God has given to us in the sense that we're filled with joy over it and we're grateful to him, but not content in the sense that God never tells us to stand still that there's always an advance to the kingdom of God, there's always more that needs to be done, that we're always reaching beyond where we are to do more. And so have we exhausted all the people in Barrie that need to hear the gospel? No, we have not. Still a lot more people that need to hear the gospel. Lots of people in this room who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of this ministry. I wanna fill in all the empty chairs that are in this room with more people. Uh, We've been able to plant a few churches and I'm I'm grateful that we've had our hand on those things, but there are more churches to be planted. I want to go beyond where we've gone in church planting. I love the fact that we've reached as many kids as we have through our Harvest Kids, through our Awana ministry, through our High Five Day Camp. I love that we've reached hundreds of kids. I'm thinking thousands. Beyond where we've gone. I'm grateful for biblical soul care and all the people that are being helped through this ministry. But I know there are so many more people that could use the loving care of the counselors who are part of that ministry. I want to go beyond. In every single aspect of our ministry, there's a sense that we still need to reach for so much more giving beyond what we normally give so we can go beyond where we normally go, in order to do that, it requires sacrifice. 
And it was modeled here by these Macedonians who were in their own, as we said, verse 2, severe test of affliction and extreme poverty, poverty, yet they gave sacrificially. They saw beyond themselves. And so very practically, when you, in a couple months' time, we're going to finish up this calendar year, and sometime in January, we're going to get you your charitable receipt, and you're going to look at that, and you're going to see what you gave in, in 2016, and you're going to be able to look at that number. And if you look at that number, and you're able to say, listen, there were things that we, as a family, as a couple, that I, as an individual... There are things that we did not do, that we did not buy, places we did not go as a result of the amount of money that we gave. If you can say that, then you gave sacrificially. So the question is, will you be able to say that? Did you give sacrificially? See, if it didn't didn't cost you anything, if it didn't really cost you anything, then it's not sacrificial. All right, number three, willingly. I'm giving because I want to. Now, repeatedly in this passage, he makes the point that they gave, I'm gonna just kind of slide through verses three and four, and then we're gonna jump into chapter nine. They gave of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They really, can you just say the Macedonians really wanted to do this? They wanted to. Then over into chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, he tells the Corinthians in in verse 2, I know your readiness. Your zeal has stirred up most of them. Verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised. So that it'll be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. He didn't want the messengers to come, the offering not to be ready, and then they kind of feel forced into doing it. And then you can't really tell if they wanted to do it or not. That it was kind of exacted from them. By the way, taxes are exacted. The government is going to get their money. They are. They're going to come for it. If you cheat, If you violate on your taxes, they're going to find you. They're going to hunt you down. You are required as a citizen to give your taxes. But God doesn't want you to feel that way at all about your giving. Not even a little bit. He wants this to flow out of your heart because you want to do it. That it's an act of your will. I can't wait to do it. I'm eager to do it. That's That's where the Lord's at. Verse seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or not under compulsion. If you've been able to come to one of the vision nights already, um, then you you know what I'm gonna say next. And I want you to all hear this. Uh, Don't give. On behalf of the elders, I'm gonna tell you right now, don't give if you can't give willingly. Don't give if you can't give willingly, if it bothers you. If if the only way you can give is, as verse 7 says here, if the only way that you can give is reluctantly, or the only way you can give is under compulsion, that you somehow feel guilted into it, 
then don't give. God never wants our offerings apart from our heart being in it. Never. Please understand, and I want you to write this down. Write this down. God does not need my money. God does not need my money. He's got plenty. He's, he owns everything. And if, if you don't want to engage in the, in the funding of his mission, if you don't want to be generous to those who are on the margins, if you don't want to help those who don't yet know Jesus, if you don't want to, please understand, he doesn't need your money. He's got plenty at his disposal. He is, after all, the God of the universe. And what he wants more than anything else is your heart. He wants your heart. I think of some examples of all of this and how God sees it. The prophet Samuel came to Saul, the king, who had made an offering inappropriately. He was impatient. He shouldn't have done the offering. He should have waited for Samuel to arrive. The king offers this offering. He thinks in his own mind he's kind of doing a good thing. And then Samuel shows up and this is what he says to him. To obey is better than sacrifice. To do the thing that God has told you to do. To have your, what he's really saying is, in in obedience he's saying, to have your heart aligned with God's is way better than the sacrifice that you think you offered to God with a sincere heart, which you didn't. To obey is better than sacrifice. Or this is what God says to Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah 1, 13. God says to Israel, bring no more vain offerings. God's telling them to stop bringing the offerings. God's telling them to stop bringing sacrifices. He calls them vain. They're empty. They're futile. They're meaningless. Why? Their heart wasn't in it. They didn't want to do it. They were just doing it because they felt they were obligated to, and God doesn't want that. Don't bring your offering if you don't want to bring your offering. I'm going to let um, Robert Murray McShane kind of have the last word on this point. He said this, I fear that there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Fourth, I must give sincerely. I'm giving as a true believer. This is the very thing that McShane raises in that startling quote. If I don't want to give, if it's not in my heart, if I don't have the generous spirit, then am I really saved? In chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, you notice 
that they, there's a key phrase there, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In fact, just, let's just read these verses. Verse five, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had stated, so he should complete among you this act of grace. The act of grace, he's referring to the offering. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. He elevates this giving to the level of all these other things that we're seeking to do as gracious followers of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about that, that the 5G Christian is made to be gracious, and now we're talking about the 5G Christian um, made to be generous, and a gracious Christian is a generous Christian, and a generous Christian is a gracious Christian, and the grace and the giving, the generosity, all floating together in the life of a true believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Everything flows from our relationship with him. And if you're super upset about this message this morning, you know, uh, Roger was up here a few minutes ago, did the, the announcements and, and opened the offering. And he said, and if you're, if you're not a member here, if this isn't your church home, then feel free to not give. I think we say that pretty much every single week. And we told you you had permission to not give and then we made you sit through a whole sermon on giving, which seems a bit unfair. But here's the thing, if you're sitting here and you're a little upset by this message and, oh, I can't believe we hit that message and it, it may be because you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and I, I wanna kinda give you the out right now and let you know this message just really, it's not for you. This, I'm speaking to those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, who have professed their faith in him. This message is really for us to evaluate where, where we're at in terms of our generosity. And so if you're an unbeliever and you, you're not getting this and, and it doesn't make sense to you, well, that's, that's perfect. It's not supposed to make sense to you. And so you really, you have permission really at this point to even just kind of stand down from listening. But that said, please consider giving yourself first to the Lord to find the salvation that he offers, the forgiveness of sin, the, the hope of eternity with him. Consider giving your life to Jesus Christ and Knowing, as verse 9 says, knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, you see, the Macedonians gave out of their poverty, but Jesus didn't give out of his poverty, he gave out of his riches. He is the Son of God, he's the Son of the King of Kings. He, he has all of the universe sitting as his footstool. He owns everything. He created everything. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. All things are before him. And he set all of that aside to become poor, taking on human flesh, dwelling amongst us, and allowing us to crucify him. Though he was rich, verse 9, yet for your sake he became poor, human, 
and sacrificing his life on the cross. That's his offering to us. So that you, by his poverty, his death, might become rich, might become an heir of all of the promises, all that God has, all the riches of heaven. That's really the basis for why we give. We give sincerely because we're believers and because Jesus gave to us. True believers give. So give like true believers. And knowing what Jesus did for me, generous giving also means that I give lovingly. You can see that there. I'm giving with affection for God and for others. In chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, Paul's carefully to, careful to say that this giving does not come with the force of a command. God doesn't want us to see it that way. He says in verse Say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the verse we just looked at. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. You said you wanted to. You were taking up the offering. Something stalled it. I'm, I'm looking at your love now. Do you really love God? Do you really love others? Is that flowing out from you? But again, Paul stops short of making it a command. God doesn't want to compel us to do it. God wants our own love, the love that's inside us, to be the compulsion for doing it. This is what he wants to prove that our love is genuine, verse 8. And then in verses 16 through 24, we won't look through all of it, he tells us about the heart of Titus. To see the Corinthians step up to what verse 24 says, give proof before the churches of your love. How can we know you really love us if you don't participate in being generous? And ultimately, our giving is about fulfilling the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us in this city and in this county and beyond. We're doing what we're doing, not to make a comfortable church for ourselves, but to demonstrate our love for the world by reaching more people with the good news of Christ's love. We're not building a resort but a rescue station. We're, we're not building a place for Christians to live the life, but a place in which all of us can find life in Jesus Christ. It's all about loving God and loving others. All right, two more to go. Everybody good? You good? Let's talk about giving cheerfully. I'm giving with joy. Verse 7, you see it there, the latter part. God loves, get this underlined, God loves, what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Let, let's, uh, you remember that the New Testament is written in Greek, originally written in the Greek language, and so the Greek word for cheerful here is hilaros, 
Uh, you can see it there in the Greek script and then also uh, transcribed into English letters, hilaros, which looks a lot like the English word hilarious, hilarious, because that's exactly where we get the word from. And uh, this kind of giving that we're talking about, this over-the-top, lavish, extravagant giving, is, it's kind of hilarious when you think about it. I mean, let's, let's compare. I want, you to, I want you to think about this. Let's compare what some of you give here, because some of you are super generous, you're sacrificial, you get this. What I'm saying today is affirmation of what you're already doing. But let's compare what some of you do to what the average Canadian does based on some stats can numbers. The average Canadian gives just $531 a year to charities of all kinds. $531. There are people in this room who gave $531 today and may do it again next week. So, so if you as a believer... Again, working off StatsCan numbers, so that was a 2013 number, uh, $531 a year, the average Canadian gives to charities of all kinds. Uh, StatsCan also says that the average household income or the median income in, in Barrie um, in uh, 2011 was uh, $86,000 a year. You may be above that line or below that line, but $86,000 is, is the average or median household income in Barrie, okay? So... So let's just say that um, a believer in this church, their household is making $86,000 a year, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, that they're giving 10%. Because <laughs> they hadn't yet heard me teach on this, okay? So they're giving, they're, they're giving 10%. So they're giving how much? $8,600 a year. The average Canadian is giving $531 and members of this church are giving $8,600 a year to the ministry here. That's hilarious. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I mean, if you want to know how funny this is, go to one of your, and I know you won't do this, but go to one of your unsaved friends or family members and tell them that you give $8,000 a year to your church and they will laugh at you. They will find it hilarious because it is. It is. It's outrageous. It's ridiculous that we do this. And what I'm saying, what, what Paul is saying here in the text, what the Holy Spirit is saying by the inspiration of God's Spirit is that when you give like this and receive back from the Lord all that he begins to pour back into your life, it brings joy to you like nothing else. And you should give cheerfully because here's the thing. You know the secret that other people don't know. You know something and are experiencing something that others will not test out and find out for themselves. So take advantage of the knowledge. Give joyfully and see what God does in your life. All right, I have really good news for you. We're at number seven. <laughs> number seven. I know you doubted me. But here we are. All right, I'm a generous Christian when I give gratefully. I'm giving with a thankful heart. You know, I just, I want us to do an evaluation of what God 
has done in our, in, in our lives? What, what has God done in your life? What's, what's, he, what's he doing right now? And then, and then lay beside that, all that he's done, all that he's doing, think about what he's gonna do. Think about what's coming on the other side of this life. Think about all of that and then lay beside that what you give. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna lay that beside. Chapter nine, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this is, this is where the prosperity preachers fail because they want to say that if you give to them and their ministry to fund their lavish lifestyles, that if you give towards that, that God will multiply back, that, that back to you, that back to you in actual material ways. That's the prosperity gospel. But here it says, and this is a whole metaphor about farming, but really to drive to this point, that what's being multiplied back to us here is, see the last word in verse 10? What's being multiplied back? Righteousness. Righteousness is the thing that's coming back to us. The blessing that comes when we become free of our bondage to this world's riches is we get righteousness back from the Lord. He could bless us materially, but that would be like the least of the blessings he could give to us. There are so many greater blessings that he could give to us. The blessing of work, the blessing of health, the blessing of family, of marriages that are on fire for him, of children who are walking with the Lord, of peace and hope in our own hearts of friendship, of security, of love, of having a vision for the future and confidence in what God is doing, of wisdom that he pours out in our lives. This is the fruit of righteousness that comes to us when we're faithful to him. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Enriched in every way. Not just materially. There was this elder at Harvest in Chicago. I think he's still an elder. I knew him years and years ago. And uh, whenever he would go into a marriage situation to, to kind of intervene into it, he would sit down with the couple who are in crisis and our marriage isn't going well and we're in a really tough spot. And the very first question he would always ask them is this, are you giving faithfully to the Lord? Because he knew that if they weren't getting this right, then, then what reason would they have to think that God would bless any part of their lives? That they would have the fruit of righteousness happening. That they would be enriched in every way. And he would find out more often than not, they weren't giving. They weren't giving. You will be enriched in every way. Notice to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, the, the offering's not just about feeding people in Jerusalem. The offering that you gave today, it's, it's not... It's not just about paying salaries for pastors or, or for leasing facilities or buying a new building or funding ministries. Paul makes it real clear here that when you give your offering, you're giving it, it's, it's thank you God, thank you. 
It's a thank offering to him. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What you give is your thank offering to the Lord for what he has done and what he is doing in your life. So based on very practical now, based on what you gave today or this week, how thankful are you to the Lord? Not thankful at all. Didn't give anything. I just threw a fiver in. A little thankful moderately thankful, really quite thankful, overwhelmingly thankful, super thankful, couldn't be more thankful based on what I gave today. We probably should have held the offering for the end of the message. <laughs> we, could, we, could, we, could, we could pass the bags again, right? But this would be better. This would be better. Because I want you to do it willingly. God wants you to do it willingly. Go home and evaluate and make the list. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is what he's doing for me. This is what he's going to do for me. And then figure out what an appropriate Thanksgiving offering is to him. Weekly. A weekly thank offering to him for all that he has done, for all that he is. What's appropriate given his sacrifice and his provision and his care for you? Given the eternal home that he's preparing for you, what's appropriate? Give with a thankful heart. That's what a generous Christian looks like, a 5G Christian, and all through this passage, the blessing that results from following these principles is pretty obvious. One last verse, look at it in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says at the end of all of this, the point is this. I love it when it's so clear. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You and I are made to be generous. God stands ready to bless us in an overwhelming way to pour abundance into our lives. There is, listen, listen, look here. There's no downside to this. There's no downside to this kind of generosity from the followers of Jesus Christ. Generosity and sacrifice are always, always, always worth it. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.